All right, it's the backup pastor. <laughs> Some of you are new, you don't know that's a joke, it's on the backup pastor. If you go online, look at my sermons, and I preach for Doug, he even has their backup pastor. On Facebook or not, it says, Casey Fitzgerald, backup pastor, has <laughs> my time. We're talking about getting uh, another shirt, because I had this shirt for a few years, and it's going to say, uh, I'm not a sidekick, I'm pastor support. <laughs> you get it from that movie? All right, anyway. All right. Well, hey, I want to, uh, I appreciate Doug letting me come and preach. He'll probably explain to you why I'm up here, and he's not while he's here. But, um, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. <clears throat> but uh, this sermon, I probably have preached, I know I've preached this sermon here before, probably a long time when I first uh, came to New Life and Doug let me preach. I probably preached this message this, from this passage more than probably any other. I, you know, I hate to say us preachers recycle, but we, we bake fresh bread, as, as the term is put, right? Try to break fresh bread, bring fresh bread. But sometimes it, it's a... a topic or a passage kind of you know clicks with you but i i heard this passage back in the early 80s is when i heard it uh and it stuck with me for the 33 years now and uh i've always thought back on on this passage and i, I want to bring this to you and hope it'll be a blessing to you it's about god's faithful few from judges chapter 7 we're going to start here in just verse number one and look at this. It says, Then Jerubbabel, which is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the well of uh, Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites, that's the enemy, that had invaded the land and had really uh, put to waste the land of Israel, was on the north side of them by the, by the hill of Morah in the valley. So um, in the different parts of Judges, it even says that they were like locusts. There were so many, uh, it's been speculated a million or so uh, men had shown on this valley on the other side. And so Gideon is called by God to come there and deliver with a handful of people. Now, most of us kind of know how this story goes. We've been in church, you know, the Gideon, the 300. But it actually starts a little bit before that 300, right? We get into um, some things about maybe what sets those faithful few apart. Uh, Jesus said in Mark chapter number 4, he, that this account is given three times. And he, uh, Mark and Matthew, Luke, each give account of this parable, the parable of the sower. And Jesus ended the parable at, like this and said, but, but these, these people that became believers, says they, they believed on the word. He said, these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, okay, they become believers, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. Now that's, you know, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, that's, that's times. So some bear what God puts in, they bear 30 times what God puts in. Some bear 60 times what God puts in. Some bear 100 times what God puts in. But Jesus indicates that there's levels of commitment. There's levels of commitment. Where do you stand in that commitment? You know, there's another, you know, Jesus always taught by parables. And a lot of things he tried to, uh, you know, use these stories that were relevant to the people so that he could put the point across. 
And he gave um, two stories, and it's kind of on, on the same theme, which was uh, an owner that had servants, stewards, and he gave them portions of money so that they would go out and take that and make more. On one group, he, there was actually 10, and he gave, gave each of them one unit of measurement. Okay, some translations call it a pound, some call it a mina, or something like that. So, but he gave them one unit of measurement of, of money to, to spend. This other story, he says that he, there was three stewards, and one he gave five, and one he gave two, and another he gave one. Now, the group over here, one fella took one and made ten, and another guy took, had one and made five. And then another fellow only had one, and he didn't do nothing. Over here, the story was that the guy who had five made ten, but the guy who had two, he did the same thing. He doubled his and made four, while the same guy with one did nothing. Now, the story goes that Jesus, in these two different stories, commended them on their commitment. You see? Because the guy who... They all got one, but one did ten and one did five. He gave them different levels of rewards for their work because they all had one, but one made ten of it, one made five. But the guys over here, the guy that had five and made ten and the guy that had two and made four because they had the same commitment, they both doubled. Even though God gave them a different amount of ability, he gave them the same reward because it's about their commitment, not how much they produced. It was about their commitment. You know, God's looking for abilities, but they're not the abilities that we think about, okay? Because, you know, I, I, I'm down there, and I'm, I'm, I'm the backup pastor, and I'm looking at Doug and how excellent he preaches. I'm trying to get a raise, by the way. And uh, just how eloquent... He speaks and just the anointing of God upon him and just, you know. And, and the guys playing and people singing and just talents, you know. And we think about that. Ah, I can't do nothing for God. I really don't have anything. But God's looking at some different abilities you think he's looking at. See, because God's looking for availability. So he's looking for dependability. He's looking for responsibility. That's the abilities God's looking for. And that's the abilities God's looking for in that faithful few. And it turns out that's kind of what they have. That's what sets them apart, the faithful few. Ability, dependability, responsibility. So what's in you? Now, to go through this story, we're going to kind of look how God shows Kind of what, what really is uh, in the commitment of these people. Now, first we're going to look at the sh a show of dedication. A show of dedication. It says there in Judges chapter 6, we kind of go back to the chapter 6. It says, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet. And the uh, Abizrites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. And he sent messengers to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, and they came up to meet, uh, came up to meet them. And that was in Judges chapter 6. And we find out later on in, in 
Judges chapter 7, verse 3, that 32,000 people showed up. 32,000. We say, man, that's a lot. Yeah, but that's only one, two, three, four tribes out of 12. It's only four of the 12 tribes that showed up to fight. And there was a whole bunch more that didn't even show up. A show of dedication. You know, dedication is devoted to a task or purpose, having single-minded loyalty or integrity. It's dedication. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 16. He said, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either, either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's the translation I was using. The word there is treasures, riches, earthly goods is, is the, the meaning behind that word. Dedication. You know, the very fact that you are here today is a sign of dedication. You made yourself available. You got up. Hopefully you took a shower. Okay? You were dependable to get here. Responsible to be here before I preach. Right? You did good. A show of dedication. There was a whole bunch of people that didn't even, didn't even go to any church today. We appreciate that. Dedication. Dedication. That's what God's looking for. A show of dedication. But see, now we kind of come to the next step, which is a revealing of motivation or a revealing of your motive. Back here in Judges chapter 7, it goes on and says this, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are, who are with you are too many for me to give in the hand the Midianites. Let Israel, at least Israel, claim uh, glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once to Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Two-thirds of the people left because they didn't have the right motivation. Now, you know, who knows why they, who knows why they showed up? You know, maybe they showed up because uh, Uncle Ben was, <laughs> sorry about that, but Uncle Ben was coming. I just pulled a name out of my hat. I know Ben. Uncle Ben was coming and, uh, you know, heading to, to the fight. And so, hey, I, I, I'm going to follow Uncle Ben. Or maybe, you know, your, your brother-in-law, Joe, was, uh, he was, he was heading to the battle. And, and, man, you don't want Joe to go by himself. Or maybe the whole town was heading there to go fight. And you don't want to, this guy didn't want to be the only one left. You know, he looked like a coward, so he came. You see? So I don't want to rain on your parade. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, you know, dog you for just giving me a compliment, but why did you come? <laughs> Because your spouse dragged you out of bed? <laughs> because uh, you know people will be there and you don't want to get a phone call from somebody? So what's, your mo what's, our, what's our motivation? What's our motivation for serving God? Is it what I get out of it? I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things I've done for God because I was a backup pastor. 
And that was the only reason I did it. Because I thought I had an image to keep. My motivation was totally wrong. So what's your motivation? God said to Moses in Exodus 25, he said, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. God was telling Moses, hey, we're about to build this tabernacle out here in the wilderness, which is their temporary temple while they, for, the, for them to worship God. And he said, you know what? I, I want the people to bring what they want to bring to build this thing. You know, this is going to be where they worship me, so I want their, their hearts in it. I don't, want, don't command them to bring this stuff to me. I want them to bring it willingly of their own. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, he says, so let each one, so there, there was, a, there was a, a problem in Jerusalem. The church was under persecution. All these Christians there were suffering. They didn't even have enough to eat. And so Paul was letting the other churches know that he's going to take up a collection to take it down there to Jerusalem to help feed their, the brothers and sisters down there who were in persecution. So he says there to the Corinthian church, he said, so let each one of us, or each one, as he purposes in, in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul said, hey, I, I want you to give because you want to give. Now, I'm going to tell you, that in the Scripture, there are lots and lots of verses and passages about our obligation to God because of what he's done for us. Our obligation to God for him saving us and being our Savior and, and us turning to him and him saving our lives. There's some obligation there. There really is. But God doesn't want you to serve him out of obligation. God doesn't want you to serve him because you think you have to. God wants you to serve him because you want to. Even though we know there's obligation. Luke chapter 17, Jesus even said this to his disciples when he told his story about um, stewards again and, and, and people being accountable. And he said to his disciples, so likewise you, this is not one of, the, one of the slides, he said, so likewise you, when you have done all the things which are commanded, you will say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what is our duty to do. You know? God's just not looking for us to do what's just our duty. He wants our heart. You ever had, you ever been to an emergency room? You ever been to an emergency room? And you had a nurse or a doctor that took care of you out of obligation? I mean, they were obligated because they had two more hours on shift. And they were going to take care of you because they had to. You ever had one of them? You ever had a waitress or a waiter wait on you that was waiting on you for obligation? They just needed a paycheck. They really weren't there because they enjoyed doing it. You ever had that? Now, have you ever had, have you ever been in the hospital and you had a nurse or a doctor who wanted to be there? They had a desire for people. They had a compassion. didn't matter if they had 10 hours left on their shift. You ever had one of them? That's the same thing with God. God doesn't want you to serve him begrudgingly or have obligation. He wants you to serve because you want to. So what's your motivation? 
What's your motivation? You know, next comes the test of the heart. The test of the heart. It says there in Judges chapter 7, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Think about that. 10,000 people are too many against a million on the other side of this hill. People are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Now, God has a weird way of testing us, but he does. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, that's the key right there, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go. And every man went to his place. Now, God has a strange way of testing us, does he not? What in the world is the difference between a person lapping with their hand or getting down? You know, what was the difference? Well, let me show you kind of how, how it was, was like and how they saw it. So when Gideon goes by, there's some people who are like this, down on, their, down on their knees with their face in the water like that, drinking. And the enemy's right over on the other side of this mountain, this kind of hill mountain that's kind of like uh, horseshoe-shaped. Faces to the east, goes to the Jordan. And so um, those people down there are just drinking. I mean, they were dedicated and they were motivated, but see, they failed the test. Now there's another group there. He says these group are lapping with the hand. I love how the Bible explains it, lapping with the hand. And the idea is they're like this, scooping water with a hand and lapping it like that. Because with this hand, they're still holding their weapon. You see. They hadn't forgotten why they were there. They passed the test. You know, so God's way of testing us is a little bit different. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God said this, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years, right? Talking to the, the Israelites. All these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, you know, there's some, there's some crazy things that happen in the wilderness, but you know, if you read the Old Testament, the majority of 40 years in the wilderness was just everyday life. The food was there every morning for him. He just went out and collected it. The water was there for him. They had a pillar of cloud by the daytime to keep them shade out of the sun. Had a pillar of fire by night to, for light and to keep them warm. And it was just every day. And sometimes, you know, it's that, it's that test of every day that God finds that faithful few. Just day in and day out. You know, we get tested. 
It's not always those fiery trials. Sometimes it's just that, oh, man, I just don't got time to read and pray today. I'll, I'll read and play later. I just don't feel like really telling that person about Jesus today. I, I'm just not feeling it. I just, you know what, I, I know I shouldn't be watching this show, but, you know, I, I've had a long day. I'm just going to sit down and just take a break today. Now, I've told you before, a, a, a lawnmower made me quit on God. I quit over a lawnmower. This old janky lawnmower I had, you know, I think it had four different tire sizes. It had bale wire and tape and stuff like that on this thing. I'm exaggerating. My wife is looking at me. I know I'm exaggerating, but this thing was a piece of junk. But you know what? I was happy with it. We really didn't have the money to go buy a new one, and, and I think two of the tires didn't even roll. <laughs> I think I just, I just made grooves in the, in the grass pushing this thing, but I was happy. You know, I, I, I was satisfied. I was okay. Lord, I don't need a new lawnmower. I can't afford a lawnmower. I'm happy. I'm content. I'm not complaining. I will push this piece of junk, and I will mow the lawn. And I'm mowing around, and I, in the old Suburban, the old Suburban was there. I think it had a metal bumper is what's different. And I just bumped that lawnmower up against it, trying to get underneath there and mow that tall grass, and it died. I guess it shorted out. I pulled, I pulled in that stupid cord for an hour. That thing was dead, never ran again. There's a stupid lawnmower through the lawnmower. I had to go get the weed whacker, right? Weed, I don't know what you, in the Texas, weed whacker, weed eater, right? I had to go out and mow the lawn, finish the lawn. Mowed the lawn for like three weeks that way, four weeks. It was electric weed whacker, mind you. <laughs> I'm dragging a 100-foot cord around. Now, you know what I, tell, I told God? Man, God, if you cannot make this janky lawnmower run, I mean, if, if you, and I wasn't even complaining, what's the worth of serving you? Why serve you? You can't even keep my lawnmower running, God. What kind of God are you? I quit. Got mad. Of course, I was way mad at God before that. I didn't pass the test of everyday life. You see? God's looking for some faithful few who can pass those everyday tests of life and be faithful. Proverbs 21 says, every man, I'm sorry, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. King David, when he, when he gathered the people together and they were, again, going to build Solomon's temple and they were gathering all the supplies and all the materials because David was not allowed to build the temple. God said, you can't build it, but your son's going to build it for you. So David said this to the people. He says, I know also, and, and this is in First Chronicles 29, I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me in, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. There's that thing, willingly. And now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. Test of the heart. Are you passing the test of the heart? You know, the last is the exercise of faith. The exercise of faith. 
It says here in Judges chapter 7, Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as, as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore multitude. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he gave a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also will blow the trumpets on every man's side of the camp and say this, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So here they do. They, these 300 men come over this mountain, and they see this multitude of the Midianites and the Amalekites, and they get right down to the edge of the camp. 300 guys with no weapons, a trumpet and a pitcher with a little candle torch inside. You know, I was told a long time ago, there's a fine line between faith and stupidity. <laughs> but I think that's sometimes why we don't take that, we don't take that leap because we don't trust God. So these men come down and show their faith, break those trumpets, and they rout those, in, those many nights, and they run. You know, it said... Um, you know, dead faith is intellectual faith. Matter of fact, it was a, it was a problem. You know, this, this faith is just in your head and not in your heart. It was a problem in the early church. James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, who was also the, you might call the pastor of the Jerusalem church, it said that he wrote the book of James before any other book was written in the New Testament. And there was a problem when you read the book of Acts that there's these multitude of, of people are coming to the church, but they're still bringing the Jewish religion and this, this idea of, of works and things and doing rituals to be a Christian and all this, and James had a problem. And these people weren't really believers. It's just out of their mouth, not from their heart. And so James writes this in James chapter 2. He says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What is it profit? What, what good did you do? They're empty words. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, it doesn't say that you have to work to have faith, but it's saying that your faith produces works. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, he says, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you, not, do, um, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, what faith, that faith without works is dead? So even the spiritual enemy believes in God, but what good does that do them? See, that's his head knowledge. It's not heart knowledge. It's dead faith. One theologian said, it is faith alone that justifies. All right, so it's faith alone that justifies. But faith that justifies can never be alone. That true life-changing faith. You know, when Jesus gave that parable and he said 30-fold, 60, and 100, he never said nothing. He didn't make four groups of people. He made three. They all produced something. What's your level of commitment? 
way back when I was three years old, four years old, we lived in Ohio. They had airplanes back then, by the way, you young children, back in 1969. We did. They actually had engines on them, and they flew on their own, and people were inside. It was, it's true. It really did. We had them. Okay? Now, those airplanes, even back in 1969, they, they flew in the sky all around. My mom, a mother of seven, she's a wise woman, okay? She's a wise woman. She was alive back then, 1969. And she saw the airplanes fly. She was, she was a smart lady. She knew people got on them, and she knew that people flew and they went from one destination to another. She's a smart lady. But she wasn't about to get on no airplane. So me and my mom rode a bus from Ohio to Florida when my dad got moved to Eglin Air Force Base. I think it was like three days we were on that bus. Okay? Because she wasn't about to get on that airplane. She believed, she knew it flew around all that, but she went about to get on it. You know, you can believe in Jesus. You can know that he's the Savior. You know, he saves people and he died. But not until you believe it here. It's a different commitment. See, it's different than head knowledge and heart knowledge. These guys had faith. They had faith and they trusted God. And that faith produced something, produced action. Some 30, some 60, some 100. The author of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul, said in Hebrews chapter 11, but without faith it is impossible to please him, and that him is God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's impossible. Warren Wiersbe said, faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but it's obeying in spite of consequence. You know, our video, the backup pastor, Right? She had a show of devotion, right? She, she was there. But her motivation turned out to be in a person, not in God. A simple test of her heart with the backup pastor showed what she really was. Showed she wasn't exercising faith in what God was doing. So my question is you, to you today is, are you one of the faithful few? Are you one of God's little band? Right. Can God count on you? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Lord, thank you for giving us the, uh, the faith 
to serve you and that you work in us, Lord, those things that we can work out for your honor and glory. Pray you just bless uh, the church and the people here today. Help us, Lord, to serve you in all we do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.